0: Well, good morning. I hope you're having a a great Sunday morning so far. Uh, You know, again, I know I might say this every time, but I truly mean it. It is uh, such a blessing to be with you this morning and be able to open God's word with you. I really, really just enjoy this opportunity every time just to, to have God work on my heart and then hopefully work on yours too. I just, it's such a privilege for me and I really appreciate another opportunity to be with you. Let's have a word of prayer. And then we'll get to our uh, message uh, today. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for all your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and all that he's done for us. Father, we thank you that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And Father, I thank you for the joy that comes through him, the joy that comes through serving you and taking pleasure in all that you've done for us. Father, I thank you for the joy we can have knowing that our future is secure that one day we will go through a glorious change if we've trusted in Christ as our Savior and and no longer will we have to deal with sin and pain and all of the effects of sin. Father, we're just so thankful for that day. We look forward to that. Father, I pray now that as we open your word that we would be encouraged and challenged today to press on toward the goal that you have called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before we get into the text, I was just reminded, as uh, PJ showed the picture of Amber up on the screen, how most people say that um, they've been in church their whole life. Uh, can't say that with Amber. She was two days old, her first Sunday, but, so almost her whole life, but I was just kind of looked at that and chuckled. I mean, who does that? My wife does. Um, but I want to start off by uh, telling a story about my wife and I and our um, relationship and how it got started um, so I had a good friend in college, uh, Mike. Uh, he and I started working out. You know, we did the P90X thing. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's horrible, but we decided that you know we were going to try it and you know get bulked up and you know whatever. <laughs> I don't know. And so uh, Julie and I had just started connecting, and, and, and you know I was talking with her and she with me, and and uh, one of the workouts in the program is yoga. And so it was something that she was interested in. And so uh, I invited her to join Mike and I and do the yoga workout. First of all, yoga is horrible, especially when you're an overweight, inflexible person. So, you know, I'm over here doing yoga poses and sweat is pouring off of my face. I'm sweating profusely. I'm so sore and I ache all over trying to do these different, you know, poses and things, and Julie's over there, you know, breathing normally, just kind of, you know, whatever, this isn't hard, and it's like, man, you know, that, that must be nice. But uh, one, of the, one of the workouts was a cardio workout, and we decided, Mike and I, that we didn't want to do the workout, we were just going to go for a run, and so we invited Julie to go on a run with us, and she is a cross-country runner, and I am not. <laughs> and so, I don't know what we were thinking, but we said, you know, she could set the pace, she could kind of determine how far we were gonna go and those kinds of things. And so we took off, we started on campus at uh, BBC and so we started running and Mike and I are just following her and, and so we're just running and, and she's leading, setting the pace and like, you know, uh, a mile into it, I, I kind of look at Mike like, this is not going well, like how long are we actually gonna go before we turn around, right? Because however far you run out away, you have to run the same amount back. And so we're running, finally, we, should, we turn around, whatever, and so I'm you know, totally gassed, Mike's totally gassed, we're getting near campus, and we probably have about uh, a quarter of a mile or so left to get back to campus, and I said, all right, it's go time. I said, you know, I'm a man, I'm not gonna let, you know, Julie beat me at this, right? It's time for me to take over, right? So we get about a quarter mile away from, this is not a good thing. So uh, we get about a quarter mile away from campus, and I'm like, this is it, it's go time. And so I just take off sprinting, and I sprint past Julie, and I'm, I'm just chugging as fast as my legs will take me, and I get about halfway through that quarter of a mile, and I'm like, oh no, I can't go any further. What am I gonna do? So I'm like, whew, taking a breather, trying to you know grunt out the rest of it, and here comes Julie like, oh, hey, I'll see you. At the finish line, she just runs past me, and I'm thinking, uh. You know, I thought I had her, I was going to show her that I could do this, and uh, when it came to uh, getting to the end of the race, I did not finish well at all, and she beat me. Never again have I attempted to race Julie in a long-distance sort of environment, because it's not good. But I was thinking about that story, so I was thinking about our message and, and in our text that we're going to be in, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. In our text today, Paul uses a lot of athletic type language uh, and, and instructs us in pressing on toward the goal and finishing well. Which obviously I did not do in my only attempt at foot racing with Julie. And never again will I attempt that because I am doomed to failure. But as we think about that, as we think about our own lives, I wanna challenge us today in how we continue to passionately pursue Christ and hopefully finish well. So the title of our message today is The Joy of Passionately Pursuing Christ. We are in Philippians 3. We are starting in verse 12. We are picking up right where uh, Dr. Sheard left off last week. He really laid the foundation for the text that we're in today. And then the text today is going to build on it from last week. But let's start reading. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read the whole text first, and then I'm going to give you an outline for where we're going in our message today. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The message we have for us today, what a great text, the joy of passionately pursuing Christ. I came up with that myself. No, actually, that is our church, of course, our church mission and vision statement. And this text is a great one to point to as to why, indeed, as a church, that is our desire for all of us, to passionately pursue Christ and the joy that comes with that. I want to go over just an outline today. We're going to look at four things. First, from this text, we're going to look at the goal of passionately pursuing Christ. Secondly, the example of passionately pursuing Christ. Third, the danger to passionately pursuing Christ And finally, the results of passionately pursuing Christ. And so as we think about this text, this is the outline. This is what we're going to work through as we work verse by verse through this text. Let's start off with the goal. Verses 12 to 14. Let me read it again. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, For which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul in this text reaffirms what the goal is. And if you were here last week, Dr. Shear told us he tells us what the goal is previously uh, in this chapter. Verse 10: I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says that earlier in verse 7 of this chapter, whatever whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. The goal of passionately pursuing Christ is knowing Christ. That's the goal. As we think about why you and I are here this morning, as we think about why we're here to live the Christian life, our our singular purpose is to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Isn't that great? That's the goal. By passionately pursuing Christ, we are reaching, we are attaining the goal that God has established for us. Notice all of, as we read this text, notice all of the, the athletic language that Paul uses. Obviously the, the Greek games, the Olympics, those, those feats of strength, endurance, racing was a big thing in Paul's day, a big thing in that culture. And notice all of the verbiage he uses. He talks about straining toward what is ahead. He talks about pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. As I read something like that and I think about the athletic arena, I think about uh, uh, the basketball team. Basketball season just started for uh, high school at uh, Mount Calvary Christian School all around the state, started on Friday. And I look at each team and I look at the hours, the effort they put into becoming a better basketball team. And I look at that and I think about myself and I think, what kind of effort do I put into knowing Jesus? I mean, you and I spend hours on things like basketball. And ultimately, it has no eternal value. Certainly, we strive to learn to be more Christ like through sports and other avenues. But ultimately, wins and losses don't matter. And we'll spend hours on that and improving. But if we're honest, for myself, I don't spend hours upon hours reading God's Word, do I? Isn't there a disconnect there? And so Paul is saying that when you and I work toward the goal, which is knowing Christ, it is hard work. It is straining. It is passionate. It is a striving to work toward the goal. He says he forgets what's behind. He is solely focused on the prize, which is Jesus. Or something like that and I think, do I have that same attitude? Something very interesting, as we read verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward or for the upward call in Christ Jesus. It's a very interesting word that Paul uses in the Olympian games. There were foot races. And it was a big deal to see who could run the fastest or the longest. Uh, for In our house, that's Julie. We've already established that. But at the end of it, there was a herald who would announce the winner. There would be this great booming call about who won. Also, he would announce uh, his father's name, the country he was from, etc. There was this, this recognition of the winner, this proclamation of who was the victor. And they would receive a crown for that. And so Paul is using that terminology to say that you and I should press on toward the goal of knowing Jesus in hopes of the same thing happening for us. That we will receive the call, but our call is not from some herald at some athletic contest. It's the upward call. It's from above. And so ultimately, that is the goal, to know Christ and for God to proclaim That we've done it. I want to jump back to verse 12 quickly before we move on to our next point. The goal of passionately pursuing Christ. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What's the goal of passionately pursuing Christ? It's to know Christ. Paul says, Christ took hold of me to know me. The goal, that was his goal, right? His goal was to have an intimate relationship with me. That's why he took hold of me. That's why he took hold of Paul. Isn't that fantastic that Christ's goal in dying on the cross is bringing glory to the Father and knowing you? for eternity. Christ has a desire to know me on an intimate, personal, deep, meaningful level. You and I need to desire the same thing in terms of our relationship with Jesus. That's the goal. So we see the goal of passionately pursuing Christ. Next, the example of passionately pursuing Christ. Verses 15 to 17. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together and following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. What Paul's saying in, in these verses is yes, that is the goal, and I am your example of passionately pursuing Christ. All of us who are mature, he says, Paul includes himself, are to be examples to others for what it means to passionately pursue Christ. He goes on to say, I I chuckle a little bit at the end of verse 15, he says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. If you do not agree that the goal is pursuing Christ and that that is ultimately what we press on for He says, God will make it clear to you that, you know, basketball or, you know, money or position or fame, God will make it clear to you that that's not the goal. I think that's great. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Other versions say this, keep living by the same standard. Paul's example is that he showed a consistent life in his passionate pursuit of Christ. We have an example in Paul. I have two applications for us today. The first one I'm going to give to you now here at this point. Who's your example? Who do you look up to Who do you talk to, interact with, ask questions of in your passionate pursuit of Christ? I've had several men. I've been extremely fortunate and blessed to have several men throughout my lifetime who have done that. When I was in college, growing up, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. My parents were divorced when I was very young. I saw my dad every other weekend. Um, My relationship with him at this point in time is vastly greater and better and different than my relationship with him when I was a teenager. It was not a good relationship. I didn't see him very often. And so I really was lacking a strong male influence, a strong male Christian influence in my life. So basically I was kind of a knucklehead, to put it nicely. And I needed men to build into my life, to speak truth into me, to model what it meant to passionately pursue Christ. And when I got to college, I was fortunate, I had Shane Miller and Dwight Peterson. Shane Miller was my dorm dad. He was the adult who oversaw um, the dorm. He was one we went to with any problems or issues. He you know, met with us and had devotions with us and those kinds of things. He was like a, a mentor to all the guys in the dorm. And Dwight Peterson, Dwight Peterson was my golf coach. He was also a professor uh, at, at college as well and, and all you really need to know about uh, how they, they taught me was their door was open their door was open I had such a desire for a strong older male influence I didn't even know I had it but it felt like every waking moment I sort of felt like to each of them that I was just over at their house all the time just walked in say hey how's, how's it going She'd be like, oh, we're just having dinner. Do you want to join us? I mean, he had his own kids, his own family in the dorm living there too. But his door was open. Same thing with Dwight. His door was open. He lived, he actually lived on campus. Not in a dorm, but he lived on campus. I was always over at their houses. Always visiting, talking. The impact that they had in my life is, is Astronomical. I started uh, in youth ministry, uh, we moved to Catanning. I was a youth pastor out there for a few years, and uh, Pastor Larry Edwards, godly man, another man, who mentored me, we met all the time, I asked him questions. He challenged me, he gave me books to read and, and things to think about. And now I look at my father-in-law, godly man, he's been a pastor at the same church for 30 years. And what you need to know about him is he is just a man of prayer. Julie will tell stories, you know, they'll knock on, he has an office at home too, they'll knock on his door and beg like, one second, or, you know, when she was younger, she'd barge in and there he would with his Bible open on his knees, praying the scriptures, praying to God, talking to Jesus. So I've been extremely fortunate to have men like that who took an interest in me and said, come, follow me. Come, learn from me. Come, be with me. Go through life with me. So my question is, who is that for you? Who is your example of passionately pursuing Christ? And the second question, then, is very obvious too, right? Are you that to someone else? It is an incredible thought for me to think through. I'm a teacher. I teach here at school. I teach Bible class, middle school and high school. And I just think about the lives that my students can impact that I will never know, that I will never meet. Like that just like, it almost overwhelms me with, with joy and emotion thinking about the lives that my students can touch. I look at my students and I think, if it weren't for Shane Miller, I wouldn't be here right now teaching my students. If it weren't for Dwight Peterson, I wouldn't be here teaching my students what it means to love Jesus. Think about that. Do you think Shane or Dwight ever, they looked at me and said, this guy has no future. I'm sure they never expected the opportunities that God would, would bring into my life because they were there for me. They were my example. And so I think about, man, what lives are my students going to touch? Who are my students going to reach that I would have ne- ne- I could never dream of, never have an opportunity to ever know the impact? That's exciting. And so my challenge for you, my first application is, who is your example? Who have you learned from? If you don't have someone like that, find someone like that. Develop those kinds of relationships. And then secondly, who are you shepherding? Who are you saying, hey, come do life with me? (laughs) Never knowing the impact that that could really have in that person's life and the lives that they reach. So Paul sets for us a great example. An example of a consistent life. He says, I am your example. He says, just as you have us as a model. So we've seen the goal of passionately pursuing Christ, that ultimately the goal is to know Christ more. Paul says he is our example. He wants us to follow him as a model. And then thirdly in this text, we see a danger to passionately pursuing Christ. We see a danger. Verse 18, For as I have often told you before and now, tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. There are really two dangers to the Christian life. Paul gives one here. Let's look back at verse 2 of the same chapter. Verse 2 of the same chapter. He gives us the first danger here and and verse 2. Earlier in the chapter, this is the second danger, but I want to just draw your attention to the first danger. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh... For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God who glory in Christ and who put, to confidence, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He goes on to say that he is of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, no one could match him. Those mutilators of flesh, he is talking about uh, the Judaizers. They were a group of people who taught Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus law. That's the first danger of the Christian life. We often call it legalism. The idea that the the way we do things, the music we listen to, the music we play here at church, the version of the Bible we use, etc., can somehow bring us favor from God or make us better than unbelievers. That notion, legalism. When I was a kid, this is just kind of a a tangent here. It feels like legalism and license, which is what Paul talks about later in the text, which we're going to get to, seems like it's on a pendulum. It seems like as you track kind of uh, history of of Christianity, that it goes from one end to the other in this constant uh, desire to achieve balance in the middle. And so when I was a kid, I grew up in a very legalistic church. Believed in Jesus, absolutely. Preached the gospel, yes. But then they, you know, had other rules and laws that were anti-biblical. That they tried to push on the congregation. I think now... Just, I mean, I'm, I'm 30 years old. In that time, I feel like the shift in general in Christianity has swung from legalism to license. That my generation, as we've grown up, have said, well, we didn't really like doing church that way, so let's just, you know, peace and love, man, and do church the other way, right? And so I think we're kind of at a, a point uh, as a church culture in America, etc., that uh, we have moved back to legalism or license. And that, that now that is our biggest struggle with, with my generation, with reaching the next generation. is thinking about the idea of license. But ultimately, that's the danger that he wants to, to challenge us with. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They give in to their appetites. Whatever it is they desire, they do. They work to attain. Their glory is in their shame. They take pride in, in wrong things. And this really, I think, is where the rubber meets the road. Their mind is set on earthly things, physical and material things are what they set their mind on. And so the danger here that Paul is warning us is, and Dr. Shear brought up last week, that there are so many things that get in the way of us pursuing Jesus. There are so many things that inhibit that, whether it's money Power, prestige, position, relationships, etc. That can get in the way. As I was studying, I read a quotation by J. Dwight Pentecost. He said, a man's God is that to which he gives himself. A man's God is that to which he gives himself. What do you and I put our time in? I opened with this in thinking about you know, basketball and the hours that our students are going to spend playing basketball in the course of several months and all the time they put in to you know, learn drills and get better as a team and become better at the game of basketball. And obviously here we focus very hard on, on, on pursuing Christ in that. And I think that that can be a valuable exercise. But the reality is, what do we put our time into? What do we spend our time on? I had a friend in college, he was saved at, he was in college college age, he was saved around 19 or 20, he was a drug dealer, he's an addict and a dealer, and he got saved, and Christ totally changed his life. He was on campus at a, a Christian college, and he came to me one day, and he was just so frustrated, he said, why, Matt, why do we spend so, many, so much time on so many other things that aren't Jesus at a Christian college? From conversation at dinner to, you know, you name the activity. He says, why do we spend so much time on those things? Why don't we spend more time sitting around reading God's word and studying it? Why don't we spend more time talking about Jesus at meals that we have when we're all together in a Christian environment? I said, wow, that's a really good question. I was very convicted because he had, was so passionate about his pursuit of Jesus that he looked around at other Christians who didn't have that same passion and became very frustrated. He was like, what are we doing? I talk to, this, I talk to my students about this quite a bit on a regular basis. You know, They'll come talk to me. We'll just be, you know interacting with each other and, and they'll say, you know, what do you think of the culture of our school and what are some ways we can improve? And I said, you want to know the culture of our school? You know how I tell? I know what the culture of our school is. You go into the l- lunchroom at ca- the cafeteria and just observe. You see what, what's going on, what people talk about. That's the culture, right? When you eat and interact with friends your own age, at a meal, in a relaxed environment, you find out what the culture is like. So I said, How often do you guys talk about Jesus at lunch? Once, twice a week? Every day? Never? That tells you what the culture is, right? And so I'm so challenged that as I read this text, as I think through these things, what is it that I spend my time on? Am I truly committed? Am I truly sold out to press on toward the goal, forgetting what is behind, straining for what is ahead? Ultimately, to know Jesus. Is that really at the forefront of my mind at all times? That everything I do, every word I think, every activity I participate in, does it point me to Jesus? Ultimately, if it's not, we need to get rid of it. Told you I had two applications. First application, who's your example? Who can you be an example to? Second application. What's preventing you from passionately pursuing Christ? What's preventing you from passionately pursuing Christ? Can I tell you, as I've I've read these things, as I've been thinking about these things, as I've been contemplating this question, I've come to the conclusion for me... my television. My television is preventing me from passionately pursuing Christ. It is so ingrained in me to just have the TV on all the time, watching whatever all the time. What is it in your life? What's preventing you from passionately pursuing Christ, from attaining the prize of knowing Jesus. What is it in your life that you need to get rid of? So we've looked at the goal. The goal is knowing Christ intimately, personally. We've looked at the example. Paul says, I'm your model, follow me. We've looked at the danger. The danger is we allow our stomachs, we allow um, our mind to be set on earthly things, to be so clouded and consumed by material physical enjoyments. Finally, last thing the results of passionately pursuing Christ. Now, result might not be the best word, and I'll admit that. Ultimately, in this text, uh, Paul concludes this section with this, that, hey, there is something glorious that awaits us. Let's read about it, and then we're going to talk about it for a couple of minutes. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We often label this as glorification, that, the, that, that someday we are going to receive a new body that does not sin, that does not feel weakness or pain. We will have no more tears, no more sadness, What a day to look forward to, right? But the ultimate goal of glorification, what's the ultimate goal of glorification? What's the purpose of it? Ultimately, it's to bring us to God's presence. It's to bring us to Jesus. So often when we talk about the future, we think about, oh, it's going to be so great in heaven, you know, all the things that we're not going to have anymore. But ultimately, it's about what we do get to have. That thing that we've been pursuing here on earth, an intimate relationship with Jesus, will go so much deeper the moment we're in his presence with him. That's what we have to look forward to. Heaven is not about what we don't have to experience anymore, right? It's about what we get to experience. We get to see Jesus. We get to talk to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Worship at the feet of Jesus, bow before him, sing praises to him. That's what we get. So Paul's point is, you and I can do that right now. It's an already not yet kind of thing, right? Someday it'll be perfected. Someday we'll get there. And it's going to be so incredible beyond anything we've ever imagined, But until then, we get to do the same thing every day of our lives on earth. We get to yearn for perfection. We get to yearn for Jesus being in his presence, getting to know him more. That's the whole point of this text. And that brings us great joy, pursuing the excellent knowledge of Jesus. So the way he ends this is beautiful, that someday we will be transformed. But ultimately, what he is saying is that our goal, the goal of knowing Jesus, will finally be obtained. That that is ultimately what we're striving for now, and we'll get to experience for eternity. If you say result, I don't know, result, I couldn't think of a better word. You can maybe shoot me a better word later, I don't know, just let me know. But ultimately, the question is what is our focus? What is our focus? So, as I've, think, as, as I've thought about this text, as I've been reading through it and studying it and thinking about the idea of passionately pursuing Christ, I have to make a confession. I don't always see the passionate pursuit of Christ as being joyful. Sometimes I feel as if it's mundane, difficult, boring, etc. And maybe you have the same struggles. Maybe you feel the same way. That's why I would challenge you to find someone who is an example for you of what it means to passionately pursue Christ. For me, at this stage in my life, it's my father-in-law. He loves Jesus. He talks about Jesus. He quotes God's word. You cannot spend an hour with him without uh, him praying for something. (laughs) So I would encourage you to find your example. And if you are mature and if you are growing, bring someone alongside you. the other thing I asked you to consider this morning is what is preventing you from passionately pursuing Christ? What's the earthly thing that you set your mind on that is preventing you from serving Jesus? This is a beautiful passage. Already, not yet. One day, you and I will see Jesus face to face. And what a glorious day that will be. But we get to experience that now by passionately pursuing him. That's our challenge today. Let's pray. Father, we just we, we stand in awe at all that we could say or think about what you have done for us through Jesus. Father, we know that we are often distracted. We often give in to our stomachs, our earthly desires. Father, I pray that we could remove those things, eradicate those things that distract us, that prevent us from passionately pursuing you. Father, that is the goal. That is the prize. Help us to strain to obtain it. And Father, I pray that as we look ahead to a day when we will be with you for all eternity, we will have that intimate relationship with you. Father, I pray that as we look forward to that day, that even now we would pursue that relationship. Father, I pray that you'd help each one of us to experience the joy that comes with passionately pursuing Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.